Hey, good morning. It is glad to be seen by you. I can't see you, but I'm glad I'm seen by you. Anyone else have the opinion that Dave was making up some verses to that song a minute ago? (laughs) Hey, before I get started this morning, I want to thank so many of you who took the challenge last week and went outside, looked up, looked at the heavens, looked at the stars, and allowed God to remind you of some promise that he's made. And also, so many of you who actually took a picture of yourselves looking at the stars and uh, sent it to me. If you joined us a little bit late, sometime today or sometime this week, I'm going to encourage you to go back to the beginning of our live stream. Uh, We ran a, a slideshow with all of you looking up at the heavens, and uh, take a look at that. I think you'll be encouraged by it. I sure was. I'm going to tell you, too, I've got another challenge for you this week, but I'm not going to share it until the very end of our time together this morning. So if you can stay with me that long, uh, I I got a big challenge for you this week as well. You know, if you would have told me two months ago that today I would be standing in another uh, empty auditorium, preaching a a sermon on Facebook Live, and that all of you would be tuned in to Facebook today. I know there's some other options out there, uh, but most of you, I think, are are watching on Facebook. If you'd have told me that was going to happen, I wouldn't have believed it. In fact, I couldn't even have imagined any scenario when that would have played itself out, and yet, here we are. My resolution in 2019 was to stay away from negative people. My resolution in 2020, stay away from positive people. Get it? Positive people? (laughs) Things change, right? And things happen pretty fast. It was Ferris Bueller that said, life happens fast. It does. Things change. And I've spent more time on social media in the last six weeks than I have in the last six years. And I appreciate it. I so appreciate the fact that we can kind of get together this way But I have been reminded and sort of amazed at the power of social media, the influence that social media has. For example, a couple weeks ago, apparently, it was National Siblings Day. Did you catch that? If you were on social media, you did, because I saw so many friends posting pictures of themselves and their brothers or sisters or whatever, all their siblings. And I didn't think that was even a thing. In fact, to tell you the truth, I thought it was some guy in his basement probably took a picture of his brother and said, on behalf of National uh, Siblings Day, I'm posting this, and then the rest of America jumped on. Apparently, it is a thing. April 10th was National Sibling Day. But I never would have known that had it not been for social media. And it was really neat to see pictures of people's siblings. And now the thing going on right now, of course, is post your high school picture, graduation picture online. In honor of the 2020 graduates who might not be able to actually take part in a graduation ceremony, post your picture online of your uh, senior picture. And again, that is so neat. It's been so much fun to see senior pictures of, you know, my friends and people that I don't even know for that matter, Although, I'm not sure that that would really be honoring to me if I was a senior in high school this year. 
They're seeing a bunch of pictures of people that uh, have already graduated. I don't know, that might depress me a little bit. I'm not sure. I saw somebody made this comment. This whole distance at home, this whole safer at home thing, if that had been a Facebook challenge, we'd have knocked this thing out weeks ago. <laughs> probably true. It's probably right. And I don't want to sound cynical, but I do want to share one other thing that, that sort of um, always amazes me when I'm looking at social media, and that's the challenges that show up on social media. Things that they're, they're, they're just... They're just designed to get you to, to click on it. It's just clickbait or, or shared or whatever. But you see things all the time. I'm strolling through my news feed, and I'll see a, a circle with, you know, that's got colors in it, and they'll say, only 1% of the population can see the animal in this picture. Share if you see it. And it's like, it's a giraffe. It is obviously a giraffe. Come on, everybody can see it. It's right there. You're not superior to 99% of the population. It's a giraffe. We all know it's a giraffe. Just this last week, I saw something that had a row after row of the letter W's, capital W. And here's what it said. This is almost impossible. The person that finds the letter M in this block of W's is a genius. Share if you found it like a boss. And one of my friends on Facebook, and I'm not going to tell you who it was, but you know who you are. One of my friends put, this isn't true. I found it in three seconds. And I'm an idiot. <laughs> but that's me. Exactly. You don't have to be a genius. I mean, my eyes were drawn to it. Everybody can see the letter M. It's not that tough. This morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about what do you see when you're looking? How hard is it to see what you're really looking for? And then what do you do with what you see? And our text this morning, our anchor text, is going to be Hebrews chapter 12. The first two verses, but really the second verse, but let me read both verses for you. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And then the writer says in verse 2, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. That's my encouragement for you this week. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You know, we are living in an historic time right now. Um, for the rest of our lives, we're going to talk about the COVID-19 crisis. We're going to talk about the uh, pandemic that we're in the middle of right now. It is an historic time. And as a preacher, I wrestle a little bit with, what's the best thing I can be saying to you right now? What's the best message for me to be sharing with you? What do I need to be telling you to do? And I think probably the best thing I can share, the best advice I can give, fix your eyes on Jesus. 
fix your eyes on Jesus. And listen, I know that sounds really easy when a preacher says that, you know, okay, fix your eyes on Jesus. And you're sitting there thinking, okay, but what does that exactly mean? And how exactly does that play out? I mean, what do I do? Tell me what to do if I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. And uh, let me share with you just three things that I think might be able to inspire you to fix your eyes on Jesus. Or at least three things that validate, I think, what the Hebrew writer is saying. And the first is this. We can fix our eyes on what Jesus did. Take a close look at the example of Jesus. We need to fix our eyes on what he did. Now, we're, we're going through a really tough season right now. Uh, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of anxiousness. There's, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty. There is some pain. And there is some heartache. I am so thankful that Jesus knows exactly how we're feeling right now. And I'm so thankful that Jesus went through some of these exact same things in his life when he was here. For instance, some of the things that Jesus kind of went through. Jesus knows what it's like to live in a family that doesn't see your potential, doesn't understand your priorities. Jesus knew all about strife and tension in the family. Psalm 69, 8 is a prophecy about Jesus. It says, I'm a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. John chapter 7, John writes, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Mark goes a little bit further in Mark chapter 3. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. Wow. You think you have family issues? You think there's, there's tension in your family? Yeah, Jesus had some family issues. He had, he had siblings that didn't believe him. He had brothers who thought, this guy's nuts. He's out of his mind. Jesus has lost it. He dealt with family relationships, difficult family relationships. Not only that, Jesus knew how to deal with grief. Jesus knew how to grieve. You think about John chapter 11, when Jesus shows up in the little village of Bethany. And he's there because his good friend Lazarus has died. And his other friends, Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, are there in Bethany. And Lazarus has been dead for four days, but Jesus knows that. And Jesus knows he's been dead, and Jesus also knows that he's there to bring Lazarus back to life. But he shows up in Bethany, and Mary, Lazarus' sister, is very upset. Martha is very upset. They're grieving. And it seems like it would have been so natural for Jesus to say, Hey, relax. I'm here. Everything's okay. Because Jesus knew in just a few minutes, these same sisters are going to be celebrating. But he doesn't say any of those things. Instead, we're all familiar with verse 35. Jesus wept. Jesus cried with these sisters that meant so much to him. Um, he didn't skip the grief. He didn't deny the pain that he was feeling in his flesh. In fact, in his grief, he identifies with Mary and Martha. And in his grief, I think he identifies with you and me as well. Jesus knows how we feel when we're grieving. Jesus also knew what it was like to be betrayed by people that he trusted and people that he loved. 
You, know, you, you think about um, Jesus pouring three years of his life into Judas Iscariot. And Jesus investing three years of his life into Peter. But it's Judas who sells Jesus out for a couple pieces of silver. Who betrays him. And it's Peter who is so afraid for his own safety that he denies not once, not twice, but three times that he even knows who Jesus is. You know, when you go through heartache, when you go through pain, when you go through just a, a difficult thing, one of the first things we kind of asked ourselves is, okay, God, how are you going to bring some kind of good out of all this? How are you going to work through this situation? And I don't know if you've found yourself asking that question lately or not, but I've been hearing it quite a bit. How is God going to work through this? How's God going to bring something good out of this? But then, you know, like we do so often, we get to the other side of a really difficult season. And we look back on that time, and we realize that God wasn't silent, and that God wasn't distant, that he was there the entire time, and God was actually using that situation, certainly not causing it, but he was using that situation to teach me some lessons, to mold me, to prepare me. Well, Jesus understands all of that. On the cross, Jesus' heart ached for you and me. You know, it's really difficult for us to think about the terrible death that Jesus died on the cross, and yet we know that through his pain and through his suffering, our healing process begins. By his wounds, we are healed. John would say, in, uh, or Jesus would say in John 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it to the full. What Jesus is saying is, the life that I'm calling you to, it's the best life. It's, it's, a, it's a full life. It's a complete life. So fix your eyes on, on what Jesus did. Also, fix your eyes on, on where he is. Now, our text in Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, but that doesn't tell the whole story. Think about the presence of Jesus in your life. Think about how, how Jesus is present with us. And again, okay, preacher, what does that mean? Now, okay, that's a nice way to say, but, but what exactly am I supposed to do with that? Well, there's several ways that we can see Jesus alive and present in our lives. One way is through the Word. Jesus is the embodiment of the Word. He, he is the uh, fulfillment of the law. We learn about Jesus when we study His Word. That's why we love the Word so much. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's Jesus. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates the even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We experience the presence of Jesus when, when we read the Word. Also, we experience the presence of Jesus in the church. We're the body of believers. You know, we're told in 1 Corinthians 12 that uh, we're all different parts of the same body. We have different roles we have different functions, but we're all part of the same body. And when one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. And when one of us suffers, we all suffer. You know, when the church 
comes together, even like we are now, even scattered in you know, kingdom outposts all over the county and all over the state, when we come together, don't you feel the presence of the Lord? Even in your living room right now, don't you feel the presence of the Lord? Where one or two are gathered, two or three are gathered in my name. We're gathered in, in His name today, feeling the, His presence. And then finally, you know, where's Jesus? He's, he's in the Word, he's, he's in the church, but also He's in our heart. Where am I? There we go. Um, he's in our heart. And that's not just some poetic analogy that I'm waxing philosophical about. That's a God-promised reality. Where do you find Jesus? In the heart of every believer through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John 14, If you love me, you'll obey what I command. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The most underestimated, underappreciated, underutilized aspect of Christianity is the power of the Holy Spirit that's living in each believer's heart. Now you think about this. When Jesus walked on this earth, to a certain extent, he was pretty limited to one place in one time. But when he ascended back to heaven, when the Holy Spirit was turned loose in Acts chapter 2, there is this explosion of the gospel spreading, of love expanding, of courage growing, of generosity flourishing. Why? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit at work. For 33 years, the limitless God limited himself to one place at one time. But now that he's ascended, Jesus can be anywhere he chooses to be, and amazingly, where he chooses to be is in our hearts. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. That's a verse that you ought to underline in your Bible. Because what that verse is saying is the same spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is not only available to you, it is at work within you. He is the Holy Spirit. And you look through the Old Testament, there's this reoccurring theme through the Old Testament. It shows up over and over again, God with us. You look through the New Testament, there is this reoccurring theme that shows up over and over again. Christ in you. Colossians chapter 1. For it pleased God to tell his people that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. Good news, because that's me. For this is the secret. Christ lives in you. And this is your assurance that you will share in his glory. I love the way the New Living translation. Uh, the, the New Living Translation uh, words that passage. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. So Hebrews 12 tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, to look closely at what he did, 
to look closely at where he is. And then also, finally, to why he came. Why did he come? What was Jesus' purpose? Well, Romans 8, 28 is a verse we know really well. We all know that in all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We love to focus on the first half of that verse. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God. But don't miss the second half of that verse either. Those who are called according to his purpose. As children of God, we have been called. We've been called to a purpose, and the purpose is God's purpose. That's what makes our life meaningful. That's where this wonderful adventure begins. That's what gives our life purpose. That's what gives our life hope. Because we've been called to God's purpose. As Christians, the purpose in our lives is rooted in this heavenly hope. And heavenly hope is so much different than the kind of hope that our neighbors talk about. Heavenly hope is what caused Noah to build an ark, even though he'd never seen it rain. And even though he was building it in a place that was hundreds of miles from any body of water that would have floated the size ark that he was building, he just trusted God. And heavenly hope is what caused Abraham to be willing to sacrifice his own son, even though he'd never heard of a resurrection. And even though he had no idea God would intervene like God did, he just trusted God. And heavenly hope is what caused Joseph, lying in a pit, about to be sold into slavery, to say, okay, God, I don't know what's going on here. This isn't what I planned, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to obey you, and I'm going to trust that you're going to bring good for what looks to be evil. You need to know that, that God can do that in your life, too. God still acts in ways in our life, but it's not always miraculous ways. Now, sometimes it's very small, subtle ways. Sometimes it's kind of over time that God is acting and God is working in our lives. But God wants to use the circumstances of your story, the, the valleys that you've walked through, the mountaintop experiences that you've enjoyed. God wants to use those experiences, the good and the bad. He wants to use those experiences to give your life meaning and purpose, but also for us to be able to give someone else's life meaning and purpose as well, to share this good news. And I'll say this, you know, we all know of times when we look back on situations and we think, wow, that was God. God fixed my problem. You know, just, we know times when just sort of out of the blue, the house sold, or the adoption went through, or my child's fever finally broke. We say, wow, God fixed that. But we also know there are times in our lives and the lives of people we love, good brothers and sisters, people who love God, people, people who are obedient to God. And God didn't seem to, to fix it. Their spouse said, it's over. Or the boss said, oh, we're reorganizing, got to let you go. Or the doctor said, I got bad news. 
And we've all gone through tough seasons. We've all gone through pain and heartache. And, and I say that with a lot of confidence because we're all going through a tough season right now. And I know some of you are going through some real pain and some real heartache right now as well. And we all know what it's like to pray passionately to God for a very specific outcome. I mean, we stay up at night and we just pour our hearts out to God and we beg and we plead and we pray for a yes. And God seems to answer with a resounding no. And we sort of shake our heads and say, God, why didn't you fix it? Why didn't you fix it like I wanted you to fix it? Why didn't you intervene like I wanted you to intervene? Let me suggest something to you. You know, last week's thought was, we don't know what God's thoughts and ways are. That's why we went out and looked up in the heavens, right? His thoughts are so much higher than ours. His ways are so much higher than ours. And I'm going to suggest to you, in, in those times when we're so disappointed in God, I think there are times when He did fix it. I just didn't realize it. And I'll probably never realize it, this side of heaven. But there are times when I've realized this. When I've asked God to do something, and for whatever reasons that hasn't happened, again, I look back and I say, wow, God was at work there. Because He taught me some things. He's causing me to trust in Him more. He's certainly showing me uh, the need to be humble and to be submissive to His will. Uh, I think maybe God wants not so much to fix things as He wants to fix our heart and to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's what Hebrews is talking about. Now, it, maybe it's not so much what you're facing. Maybe it's more where we're looking and who we're trusting. When we take our eyes off Jesus, when we start to make other things a priority, maybe not even bad things, just other things, when we start to get distracted and we're not focused on Jesus, our lives take a turn. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and, and perfecter of our faith. You know, I know that so many, and I'm so thankful, so many of our Bay Area family, we're together right now, but I've also been really encouraged and impressed by all the friends that we have um, that just kind of pop in from time to time and share the, uh, watching the live stream. It's really been encouraging, kind of neat. Um, and I know some of you might have jumped on a little bit and you're kind of checking us out, and you don't know anything about the Bay Area Church of Christ that meets stretched outside of Tampa, Florida. You don't even know where that is. But you're watching and you're wondering, what are those people about? What's their deal? Now, what's up with, with, with those people? Let me tell you what we're about. Let me tell you what our deal is. We're about Jesus. We are really singularly trying to focus our lives on Jesus. We are desperately trying to fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. You want to know what we're about? We're about Jesus. His motives are always pure. His heart is always loving. His words are always true. His ways are always right. His yoke is always easy. His burden is always light. We are all about Jesus because we are convinced Jesus is the hope of the world. 
all the problems that you're facing, all the issues that we're dealing with, fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the hope of the world. Let me end with a, a story, a, a, an illustration that you, probably most of you are familiar with. Several years ago, uh, Walt Disney World started doing exit polls with the people who were leaving their park. And what they found out was that an awful lot of people who were leaving the happiest place on earth weren't very happy when they were leaving. And what they discovered through their uh, exit polls was it wasn't the cost, and it wasn't the heat, and it wasn't even the crowds that was disappointing so many people. What they were disappointed in was the fact that they had come to Disney World, they'd spent the whole day there, often from far away, a lot of times that was like the one big family vacation that they'd planned and saved for for years. They spend the entire day in the park and they never did see the one person they wanted to see. They came from all around and they, they looked all day and they never did see the one person they wanted to see. And of course, the one person they wanted to see was Mickey Mouse. But they never saw him. And so there children and the adults, they were leaving disappointed. So Disney gets together and they think, okay, what can we do to solve this? And somebody says, well, we can put a bunch of Mickey Mouses out in the park. I said, no, that'll never work. And that's going to shatter this uh, magical uh, illusion that we're trying to create. And you can't have some kid riding a tram and looking down and, you know, there's a Mickey and, no, there's a Mickey and, you know, that's not going to work. So what they finally decided on was, they were going to have a parade every single day in Disney World, and it was going to run straight down Main Street, and the grand marshal of the parade was Mickey Mouse. So every day at 4 o'clock, anybody who wanted to see Mickey Mouse would know just where to find him. They'd always be able to see him, and they would not leave disappointed. Let me tell you something that I, that I think is true right now. I think it's true more now than it has been in a long time. I think right now we are living in a world where people are spiritually hungry. Now, they might not know it, and they might not be able to verbalize it, but I think right now our world, our community, our families, our next-door neighbors, I, I think they're searching for someone. And they can't even tell you who it is they're searching for. They're feeling like they're missing some kind of purpose. They're missing some kind of hope. You know, the anxiety and the fear is mounting. And so they're looking for someone. When they come into your place of business wearing a mask, or when you go into theirs wearing a mask, when they come into your home, those family members, when you talk to them on the street, your next door neighbor, six feet apart, they're looking for someone. And it's not me, and it's not you. The person they're looking for is Jesus Christ. Again, they might not know that, but the situation they're in right now, that's who they're looking for. May we never miss an opportunity to show people Jesus. May we never allow anyone to go away from us disappointed. 
because they didn't see Jesus in our lives. As we live our lives in this strange time, as things maybe start getting back to normal, I don't know, may we tell our story of how Jesus changed our lives. In our words, in our actions, in our attitudes. Boy, I hope people can see Jesus in us. I hope people aren't disappointed in what we project. And I hope people can see, even if they can't quite put their finger on it, even if they can't quite quote the scripture, probably don't even know it's from the Bible, that guy's eyes fixed on Jesus. Jesus is the focus of his life. That's my encouragement for this morning. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we desire to follow the example set by Jesus. We want to feel the presence uh, through your word and through the church and through the indwelling of the Spirit. Father, we want to live a life of purpose because of the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. So, Father, would you help us? Help us to look away from some of the things that are demanding our attention, to look away from the things that we get so easily distracted with and to look to Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Our praise team has a song that they're going to sing, and then I'm going to come back up. Remember, I said I got a challenge for you. I want to share the challenge and uh, just a few updates as well.